Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Here at Relationship Radio, we get all kinds of questions and all kinds of topics, as you might imagine, when it comes to marriage. But one of the ones we get more than any other has to do with this thing called limerence. That's spelled L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E. It's a, a word that was coined back in the 1970s by Dr. Dorothy Tenoff when she was studying people who identified themselves as being madly in love. This is Relationship Radio, an extension of Marriage Helper International, hosted by renowned marriage and relationship expert, Dr. Joe Beam, and the CEO of Marriage Helper, Kimberly Holmes. We answer your questions directly with research-based principles that you can implement immediately. Regardless of the situation, what we teach will not only make your relationships better, but will also help you to become the best version of yourself along the way. Be sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel and click the bell to be notified every time we release new content. If you have a relationship question, follow the link in the description to see which topic is up for discussion this week. We can't wait to answer your questions and have you join our community. Turn up the volume and prepare to take notes as we begin this week's episode of Relationship Radio. You can go out there and look on the internet and find things about it. As a matter of fact, like any other topic, type in the word on Google and all of a sudden 95 million responses pop up in seven seconds or less, well, maybe 0.7 seconds or less. And yet a lot of people who talk about limerence are actually just quoting Tenoff from back in the 70s. And she was brilliant. I mean, she opened the door. And so we give her kudos. But there's been a lot more research since then. And we at Marriage Helper wound up working with situations with couples or I should say individuals in limerence with another person repeatedly. Therefore, in the last 25 years, we have worked with couple after couple after couple where at least one of those spouses has been in this limerent relationship, quote, madly in love, end quote, with someone else. So we have a quarter of a century experience in dealing with it, have done our own research about it, as well as continually staying on top of the other research that's out there. So let's talk about it. If your spouse believes and says vehemently, I am in love with someone else, not you, is that a valid kind of love? Is it what people call true love? Does it mean that your marriage is over? Or is it this thing that we refer to as limerence? Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam with Marriage Helper, along with Kimberly Holmes. Kimberly is our CEO, the guru that leads our whole organization, and uh, my boss. So I have to be very careful what I say because I'm doing this program with my boss. So Kimberly, when it comes to this thing called limerence, I know that we get asked about it so often that sometimes we just want to talk about something else. <laughs> and yet it's out there. It is rampant. And and I get invited to come to even to marriage counseling centers where there are sometimes 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 marriage counselors working out of a center with their degrees from all kinds of different universities. And none of them ever were taught about limerence when they were in college. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, there are some people out there who still claim 
that limerence doesn't exist. And yet the research is ample and fascinating. Plus, we've had experience with so many people over the years. I mean, decades of people with this thing that we identify as limerence. So why do you think it is that some amen counselors or therapists have never heard of it or perhaps think it doesn't exist? <laughs> You're asking someone who, of course, was trained as a marriage and family therapist. That's how I started my master's degree. And you're you're right. I mean, that did not come up in the time that I was in my marriage and family therapy program as something to address. But here's what's crazy about that. When you look at the reasons that people divorce, I mean, clearly we know the, the research from Gottman that says top three reasons is because people don't feel liked, loved, or respected. But if we look at the actions that occur from that, that lead people to, to seek a divorce, we're seeing consistently in the top three, spouses, physical infidelity, is always there. So this is something that no one talks about, but many, many marriages are experiencing. I think we have known this before anyone else, because we knew that 67% of the couples who have come through our workshop, there has been an affair or currently is an affair when they're going through it. So all of that to say, I don't know. Well, I think the reason that it's not taught is because it's not something easy to deal with. It's not just a theory that you can put in front of a student. It's not, it's not easy to deal with, easy to work with. But unfortunately, counselors and therapists are going to see a lot of this in their office. But like you and I know, they don't know how to deal with it. We've had counselors and therapists tell us maybe they have a success rate of one out of 10 couples that they deal with when an affair has affected their marriage, where we have more than 70% success rate in working with those clients and actually would say, this is the this is the kind of situation we have real confidence in being able to help because we have so much experience. You said that one of the most quoted people is Dr. Dorothy Tinoff because she found it. I believe you will be number two on Google of people quoting you about limerence because you have been talking about it for over a decade. I mean, now it's kind of a fad. Two, two and a half decades I've been talking about it, yeah. Yeah, now it's becoming more mainstream, but you have been researching limerence when it was still obscure and no one knew what the word meant. Right, but now there are a lot of people on Google who know all about it. <laughs> Always be careful about that. That was sarcastic for those who can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive the sarcasm. Forgive the sarcasm. But there are situations where that affairs occur, and we know that infidelity is rampant. We live in a culture where it seems to be accepted, almost as a matter of fact, expected that you know he or she or maybe even both of them are going to wind up cheating on the other at some point. Uh, to the point when I was teaching in a local university, I taught human sexuality for eight years at a local university and, and would explain limerence when I'm talking about sexuality and, and uh, realized I was telling my students too much when a couple of them said, we now are afraid to get married. <laughs> it's going to be all terrible. Well, no, no, don't be afraid to get married. But it's something that we get a lot of questions about. So let me explain something very quickly about it before we get to our questions. I am currently writing a book about it. Hopefully, we'll be finished uh, sometime before too very long. At least that's what my boss lady tells me, by the way. And so writing this book about it, we talk about in the book three phases of limerence, the first of which is I call infatuation. And that's how people go from not being in a limerent state to being in a limerent state. And it's similar to infatuation 
in other kinds of love. Then there's a second phase that I call crystallization, actually using that phrase from a guy, a French writer back in the 1800s who was trying to explain something. He was a novelist who wrote a lot uh, about, in his novels, human psychology. And I got the word crystallization from him because it actually identifies what's happening there. And in the third phase, we call deterioration. Now, I'm not going to be able to explain all of those in great detail here, neither will Kimberly, but understand that that infatuation happens first and then crystallization and then deterioration. Now, as we go through that, don't think that it goes just like this because their emotions, they go all over the place, okay? And so they're not linear. They're moving all kinds of directions, but definitely three phases. And because of the work of people like Dr. Helen Fisher, who is a biological anthropologist, who when people identify themselves as being madly in love, actually did some fascinating kind of research, including F. MRIs, functional MRIs, where they get a series of pictures of people's brains. We even have some understanding and knowledge of what's happening in a person's brain when they are in a limerate state. Uh, Without going into further detail, because we don't have time in a podcast like this, it has to do with the fact that dopamine increases. That's an ecstasy chemical that your brain produces when you're thinking about the person that you're madly in love with. And serotonin decreases. Now, there are other chemicals as well, but we'll just mention these two. And serotonin has a calming effect. And so basically what happens is this, when you become this person madly in love, and we use the word limerence to describe that with someone else, then there are spikes of dopamine, but they're coupled with the serotonin loss, which has to do with the fact that you become more afraid and you become very afraid that the relationship is going to end. Fear intensifies passion. And so therefore, if when that other person responds positively to me, I have these spikes of dopamine, it's like, I'm in heaven. But then if I perceive anything that he or she does as moving away from me because of that lack of serotonin, that goes down. And my fear intensifies like, oh, no, maybe she's moving away from me. Maybe he doesn't want to be with me anymore. And so you're going through this ecstasy, agony, ecstasy, agony. But because the ecstasy is so powerful, you don't tend to remember the agony. <laughs> as soon as you're back in the next ecstasy again, like the agony just went away, what was I thinking? And so while it's miserable in that agony phase because of your hypervigilance, you're watching everything the other person does. And so ecstasy, agony, based on your interpretation of what they do, what they say, all those kinds of things, limerence then, even in phase two, is an up and down kind of thing. Yeah, from from joy to terror and everything in between. Now, there's a much better explanation of that, but we don't have time here to get deeper. Hopefully that gives you a picture. And because we talk about it in our um, podcast and because we have videos on it, as a matter of fact, on youtube.com slash marriage helper, we have hundreds of videos about all kinds of things concerning marriage that are free. You can go access those things. We talk about it there a lot as well. Now, in our workshops, we can get into it in much more detail. Obviously, we can't in these videos and podcasts and things like that. But based just on what we've explained to you so far, hear this. It is considered to be a kind of love. But based on the research of people like Fisher, Dr. Fisher, we know that it has a 
shelf life. It typically is going to last somewhere between three months and 48 months before it goes away. Occasionally, it may go past 48 months, but there's but that occurs so rarely, those are called statistical outliers. In other words, it happens so rarely, you can't even count them. So, Kimberly, I've kind of laid the, the foundation here. What else should we see, uh, say here at the outset before we start dealing with the questions people have called in about it? For those of you who have listened so far and you are saying, this is what my husband or my wife is going through, I'm going to share this podcast with them so they will awaken to their senses and understand that they are just fallen victim to limerence. Don't. Please do not share this podcast with a spouse who is in limerence. They will not hear it and you will do more harm than good in restoring your marriage. Mm-hmm. Once, a few years ago, a wife did share it with her husband. He looked at it and said, that's me. And then they came immediately to one of our workshops. We helped him save the marriage. Once. <laughs> Once since 1994, when we first started teaching about this. Typically, people react like, no, 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 that's not me. I, the kind of love I have is not that. It's a different kind of love altogether. And so it just makes them defensive. And that's why we're recommending that you try to understand it, but don't try to teach it. Even having us teach it by saying, look, come watch this video. Uh, Kimberly and Dr. Beam are going to teach you all the things you need to know. (sighs) This is for your knowledge, your understanding. Kimberly, we have several calls about this. And uh, let's see if we can answer some of those. Is it possible for a partner who has had an affair for the last two years and alienated his kids and his friends and everyone, but latched onto his sister and talks to her for like two hours a day to come back to the family and start rebuilding our lives together. What's interesting to me about this caller is that she's asking about if he has a two-hour conversation a day with his sister, if that could prevent him from coming back to the marriage. Where do you think that question is coming from? Well, Obviously, she doesn't use the word limerence, but the guy's in an affair. And in this affair, he apparently has cut off contact with people that she thought he should be talking to, such as me, the wife. Why isn't he talking to me? Why is he talking to our children? Why has he chosen that instead of that, that he's talking to his sister instead? And so I think that's what the question has to do with. He's cut us out of his life, but he still has somebody else in his life. And I think the implication here is that she thinks sis or sister, if you want to use that word, that sister is uh, somehow uh, aiding and abetting the affair. Right. I think that's what she thinks is going on. I would probably think the same thing. He's probably not calling his sister because she's talking him out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. Well, so in that sense, her question is, is there hope if he's surrounding himself with people who aren't going to speak truth to him and are going to encourage him to leave the marriage and the relationship? Yeah, that's how I interpreted the question. I think that's what she's asking. So what do you think? Well, of course, we believe that there's always hope. Does this make it a bit more difficult? Sure, but this is kind of expected and par for the course with someone who's in limerence. They are less likely to hear logic. They're very driven by emotion. They're going to surround themselves with people who are accepting of what they're doing. They will vilify people who try and come in between them and the limerent object. And so, and how long did she say that he's been in the affair for? I think she said two years. Two years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's where he is now. So how do we encourage the spouse standing for the marriage in this situation, especially when it's been two years? 
Okay. A couple of things to think about here. Typically, a person who is in limerence, and if indeed this guy's at in that state, typically will spend the hours talking to the LO, that's in for limerent object, the person that they feel they're madly in love with. The fact that he's also spending a couple of days, talk, a couple of hours a day talking to his sister kind of indicates to me that he's not getting all the fulfillment from the uh, conversations with the limerent object that typically we would see a person having emotionally. They just need to talk to somebody else as well. Now, I have to infer some things there, and we could be wrong about this, but I'm thinking, Kimberly, that would indicate either that the other person is not really listening to him, which means that the affair is already headed toward deterioration, or or the fact that he still has some degree of guilt about it and needs to talk to somebody else so that he can either feel assured, understood, validated, or something. The fact that he's speaking to his sister a couple of day, a couple of hours a day, while I cannot say this for an absolute fact because I don't know, would appear to be signs that this limerent is not a limerent relationship is not as strong as most are by the time they get that far into it. In other words, if I were going to take a guess, I'd be taking a guess that he's actually uh, beginning to lose some of that feeling for that other person, and, and sister is somehow beginning to fill that gap in in that he has somebody to talk to, somebody who is understanding to him. And of course, there's a possibility uh, that even though I think you're probably right, Kimberly, that sister is not uh, confronting him, otherwise he'd be talking to somebody else. There's a possibility that she's not encouraging him either. There's a possibility that she's just trying to understand him. Of course, there's also the possibility she might be encouraging him, like, you just do what makes you happy and things like that. Either way, she's an unknown. But the fact that he's spending that much time with her, actually, I would see as possibly a good sign about what's happening to the other relationship going toward the end. Now, yes. But could it also be that he's lying that it's his sister? Possible, but let's just assume this woman knows it for some reason, that, that she didn't hear it from him. Maybe she heard it from the sister, or, or maybe she has some other way of knowing it. But sure, it could be somebody else. But since we don't have any way to evaluate that, I think we just have to assume it is the sister. Okay. And so she's saying, well, is it possible that put this back together? Yes. We see it happen all the time. Can't tell you the number of people that have come into our workshop that have been sent after the marriage counselor said, there's no hope. There is absolutely no hope. And then one of them convinces the other one to come to our workshop instead. Or I remember one now, um, actually we're referred by a friend of ours who is a, who is a, an orthodontist. And he sent that couple to us, convinced them to come because we were friends with him. And here's what the orthodontist said to me. Everybody in this county knows there's no way that this relationship is going to make it. This marriage is over. And yet we have seen time and time again, the situations that everybody had given up on, including at least one of the spouses, if not both, actually put the thing back together and make the relationship work out again. And so the bottom line of the question you ask, I don't think him talking to his sister is going to be that big a detriment to you putting this back together. As a matter of fact, it might even be indications of things not going quite so well with the limerent object, which may mean that it's going to be a little easier to put things back together. But, of course, we're speculating on that because we don't know more about that. All right, let's try another call here then and see what this person has to say. I had a couple of quick questions. Um, 
The first one was about fear and limerence, the anxiety that one has towards the, uh, the LO. Uh, I was wondering if that occurred more in the infatuation or the crystallization phase. Um, it was a bit unclear to me in the descriptions. I was just, like I said, just curious. Uh, Cause I, I seen a lot of that in my spouse. So, Kimberly, really, if you listen to what he just said, I'm curious as to whether there's more fear in stage one infatuation or in stage two crystallization. But I think the real question came at the end. He said, because I'm seeing a lot of that in my spouse, meaning I am seeing fear in her. Now, I'm assuming that that fear he's referring to would be fear about the relationship with the other guy. You think that would be the correct interpretation of that call? I, I believe so. Fear of it ending. Mm-hmm. That that might be it, but also, of course, you know, one of the downsides of not being able to ask more questions to the caller is that uh, it might be that she's demonstrating fear all the way around, and sometimes that fear is not just that the other relationship is going to end, although that's usually what it is. Sometimes that fear is about uh, violating your own beliefs and values. Mm. That, that I'm scared because I know what I'm doing is wrong based on what I believe and what I value. I should not be doing the thing that I'm doing. Either way, if he's seeing the fear in her, then either that other relationship is not as strong as she thinks it ought to be because she's having fear visible enough that husband can see it, or she's got some kind of fear that she shouldn't be in it or some unknown fear that we don't even think about right now. So what that tells me is that that kind of fear will make her cling in all likelihood more strongly to the other person, the LO, the limit object. But that fear with that kind of strength could actually begin to erode the power of the limerence because it's like if they feel so insecure and have so much misery. Remember I said earlier that that the ecstasy, agony, ecstasy, agony, that the ecstasy is so powerful that you tend to forget the agony. Okay. Uh, she's responding to me. That's wonderful. Amazing. And nobody's ever felt like this before. Oh no, she's pulling away from me. That hurts. My heart's breaking. I'm having chest pains. Oh no, she's responding to me again. And because this ecstasy is so amazing, the fear goes away really rapidly and people tend not to even think about it again, almost as if it didn't exist. But hubby, husband is seeing the fear, which indicates to me, she might be doing more down here then she is up here. And if that's the case, after a while, it can become so miserable that she'll bail out of it. Mm. So it's not unlimited override of the fear. It can only happen for a certain period of time until biologically you can't continue to handle the up and down. Yeah. You, you can't live in fear forever. It'll destroy you. Mm-hmm. And the physical manifestations that come here, I mean, seriously, it has to do with panic attacks, uh, anxiety. It has to do with rapid heartbeat. Uh, sometimes you'll end up in depression and anxiety and all those kinds of things. And, and uh, people can't live like that. Now, if you're having enough ecstasy to offset it, mm-hmm. then again, you tend to forget it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't sound like that's what's happening here. So why we don't want to give you false hope, because I can't tell you exactly what's happening. I'm saying to this young man, the fact that you're seeing that much fear, in all likelihood, she is in the second phase, her civilization, and it's not going too well. 
And so I would actually take encouragement in that. Now we have another caller here. My husband was having an affair with a woman for about a year and a half that ended abruptly. And she wanted nothing to do with him for about a year. She has recently come back into his life after her relationship ended. They've been seeing each other now for several weeks. My question is, can Lemon start over again? It'll be three years this month. So her question, of course, is can limerence start back over? It's almost three years with this. Now, I believe I know, but it's only because I've heard you say it. (laughs) I believe I'm going to predict your answer to this question, that limerence isn't starting over. It probably went into some kind of lull and has re-spiked or reignited. Is that correct? Yeah. That would basically be it. Technically speaking, based on how much we understand about limerence from research, that once it happens for a person, it doesn't happen for that person again. Now, there can be spikes of passion and things like that that sometimes people misinterpret for limerence. But typically, based on the research, best research available, if it when it finally runs its course for a person, it does not come back which is somewhat disappointing to people to say, but I want my spouse now to be limerence with me again. Uh, You know, he or she was back in the beginning. And technically that's not going to happen. My guess is this, you know, she was gone for a year. He probably was in the process of beginning to heal, but had not healed completely in that year from the limerence. Now understand when I use the word heal, I mean, getting past the emotional involvement, the emotional connection, the brain chemicals, all those kinds of things. So don't get a bit out of shape that I use that word and, and could have been getting very close to the point of accepting the fact it was over and boom, she's back. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take much. I mean, sometimes it can spring back to full life. Just that, fast, which meant that it never had really gone away. It had been receding, but it was still alive. And boom, all of a sudden it's back up here. And so could that be then that he is now experiencing the latter parts of limerence with her? Yeah. Did it start all over again? Now, when she says three years, my guess he's trying to say, well, I've heard you say that it goes somewhere between three months and 48 months. And he's at the three-year mark. Oh, my goodness, have we started back at over here again? Right <laughs> I think you think that's what she's probably asking? Probably. Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, it's not going to start all over again like that. Here is the, uh, I know it's all bad news, but here's the good news and the bad news. Kimberly, what do you think was going on with her? when she bailed out on him for a year because of another relationship. And then the other relationship ended and she came back to him. Do you think there's a good possibility that this other woman is not in limerence with the husband? Hmm. Again, you're the limerence expert. However, she probably fell into limerence or at least had some kind of attraction to another person that ended And this is an easy rebound, so to say. It just, this was the one right before that one. She's going right back to it. And probably because she's, who knows, feeling lonely, wanting to feel like she has value, wanting to feel those exciting feelings again, whatever the reason, she may just be using him. 
That would be my guess. I don't think, and of course, you know, I don't know. I've not met this person. and I, I can't give you a, an in-depth conversation about people that I've never met or don't know. But if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were a betting man, here's what bet I would be betting, that this woman was not in limerence with him to begin with. Yeah. Because of the fact that she left him for another guy that for whatever reason. And now, like you just said, okay, now the other guy left me. I'm high and dry. Well, here's the guy we hear that I can beckon call and he will come right back to me. And so my, my speculation would be that you have a person here who is not operating out of a sense of love, which is what limerence do. They have a sense of love, but operating out of a sense of need. Like, you know, I need you. Kimberly, several years ago, I remember working with this woman and she had affair after affair after affair. And I said, are you falling in love with these people? And she said, no. And I said, what do you think drives this? And she said, oh, I know what it is. If I see that some other woman has a man, I just have to take him away to prove my superiority. And so she was doing that regularly, taking other men. Now, why is, would that, even as bad and terrible as that is, why could that be good news to this wife? Hmm. If that's the way that she's going to think and that's how she's going to treat him, then when, when she leaves again or when there's not a reciprocation, at some point it's going to end. Therefore, that's good news for the wife. But it's also frustrating because I'm sure the wife has questions such as, so how will I know when limerence has ended, not just dis, not just receded, but is totally done and over so that we can move on and not have this happen again? It's just a hard question. You know, we never know when really that's the case. What we really look to is this. At what point can you count on him being committed to you? Where he finally says, I'm with you, that's it, and I'm going to be here. You see, rather than trying to measure the level of emotion that might still be left, it's a whole lot better to go on, here is a statement of commitment that a person is committed to do, that I am going to be here with you, because those emotions will go away. Mm -hmm. So uh, my speculation on this is that your husband is being used and that she'll use him until there's somebody else she wants to use and she'll dump him again. Does that mean that instantly his limerence will end? Actually, the one who ends the limerence has a better time getting past it. The one that's being abandoned has the tougher time. Now, I know you don't want to hear that, but that's just the way it works. So it will take a little longer for your husband because he's the one being abandoned by her. I mean, that's what she did before. If I were the betting man, I'd bet a lot of money that she's going to do that again. And, and if you can be there to help him get well, if we can use the words we've been using earlier, then if you decide that you're going to keep forgiving him and that you're going to you know, keep loving him, then you guys can get past this. And somewhere down the road, I don't know if it's a year, a year and a half, two years, but somewhere down the road, he's going to be going, I can't believe I let that woman use me that way. Mm -hmm. So for you, I would say as much as this hurts, if you really want to save the marriage, I think the odds are definitely on your side. Mm. Would you agree? I would agree. Okay. Let's see if we get another uh, call in before we need to end this podcast. Hi, this is uh, Scott calling from Alberta, Canada. Uh, my wife and I have been separated since about the 1st of September. Um, she just recently, before Christmas, was on a dating site and met somebody. And I believe that they have an affair, I guess, for lack of a better word, going on. She 
hasn't been happy for a very long time. And because we are separated, she justifies this as being okay. Uh, she does know, and we've talked about it, that it's essentially adultery, and the Bible says that, but she doesn't want any part of anybody telling her that. My question, I guess, is how do I, or should I even try to show her or explain to her exactly what it is that she's doing? She knows God. She has a relationship with God. She's had it since she was a little girl, but right now she's just, nobody can say anything. This is what she wants to do. And um, yeah, so I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out how I need, need to navigate this. And is there anything I can really do or say to her to, without completely turning her away and having no hope at all for my marriage? The situation that he has a question about is something we see a lot, unfortunately, and especially when you are married to someone who had such a deep conviction and belief that they didn't want to get involved with another person. I mean, we totally get that that is what most people enter into a marriage believing that they will be committed and that they would never have an affair. One of the things that we see, though, is that whenever someone changes who is most important to them or what is most important to them. So in this sense, this woman was a Christian. She grew up as a Christian since she was young, as he said. And so God was most important to her. Therefore, that would affect and influence what her values and her beliefs are and therefore what her actions would be coming from that. So if God is most important to her, then her, her values and beliefs would include that adultery is wrong because that's what the Bible says. And therefore her actions based on that would be to not get involved with another person, to not have that kind of lifestyle or engage in that kind of behavior. But when someone changes whoever or whatever is most important to them and God for people of faith becomes less important and the way that another person makes them feel, or I mean, mainly that the way another person makes them feel to feel and how important another person becomes to them, like an affair partner, when that becomes the top of your list of this is who I'm trying to please, this is what I'm seeking, then beliefs and values will change. We will actually change our beliefs and values to fit whatever, whoever is most important to us, which therefore will change our actions to fit our new set of beliefs and values. So the fact that this woman is, is zoning out, tuning out these people who are trying to say, but you believe in God, you're a Christian. This is not something you would do. Well, that doesn't matter to her right now because she has changed whoever is most important to her and therefore is living in that mindset and is thinking differently than she used to think. Yeah. And, and they will abandon those beliefs and values they had when God was the most important. And so you might be saying, good grief, and you're telling me that uh, quoting scripture is not going to work. That's what we're telling you. <laughs> but she believed him at one point. We understand that. But we're telling you that preaching to her, teaching is not going to work right here because whoever or whatever is most important to her has changed. So does that mean there's no hope? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that she's going to not listen to you or anyone else who fits in the old belief and value system as long as this other person is the most important thing in her life or whatever, as Kimberly said, or what she's feeling because of this other person is the most important thing in your life. Now, here's the good news. If that, well, again, this is all bad news, but here's the good news and the bad news. <clears throat> if indeed it is limerence, 
at some point that's going to change. And what you're hoping will happen when that does is that the old beliefs and values will come back. And the way you help do that is the kind of thing we talk about in a lot of our, our teaching, which is this consistency and time on your part. Now, you're not God, but in some sense, because of the fact that you're part of her life where God actually mattered to her, then in that sense, in a way, you're kind of representative of God in that sense. So consistency and time on your part. Keep doing the right kinds of things. You're not going to convince her otherwise. You're not going to talk her out of it. The best thing you can do is be there try to understand, try to love, try to be kind, those kinds of things. And when that finally does change, that you're in such a good position that you, and because you're part of our overall old life, that's representing God in a way, moves back up. Now, Kimberly, I know I'm making that oversimplified. It's not as easy as I'm saying, but it is doable. What, here's what I don't want people to do. I don't want people to hear that and think they all of a sudden have to do a bunch of things to try and become back as number one, Good. because Good. it's, Good. It, it's what we teach. It is working on your pies. It is focusing on smart contact, doing the things that will rebuild love, stop doing the things that hurt love. And so focus on that. Limerence doesn't change the things you're supposed to do. You keep doing the things you're supposed to do. And don't try and overdo things or, or push too much to try and become that person or thing that's most important to them. Of course, for our listeners who are people of faith, you don't want to become that thing that's most important to them. You want that to be God. Mm-hmm. So we're not fighting for that. We're just doing the things that will build that strong emotional connection again. Mm-hmm. And and one way you can do that, we have, uh, and forgive me, sound like a commercial, but this is something I believe in because it's really good. We have an online course called Save My Marriage that can guide you to the process of what to do and what not to do. As long as you don't take upon you the responsibility that it's all dependent upon you, mm-hmm. you can only control you. Kim, right. that was an excellent point. I'm glad you made that point. And how can they get into this uh, Save My Marriage course? Is it available right now? I know that sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Yes, you can go to marriagehelper.com and you can see our courses on a tab at the top of the screen where you can find out more about the Save My Marriage course. I know this, the group support calls that come with it do are rolling on a 12-week basis. So I'm not sure where it will be depending on when you join, but there will be something there as a, as a way for you to get involved in some sense and get started because that is the best thing you can do starting now to understand what has happened in your relationship and change your behavior to begin hopefully to attract your spouse back to you. And then of course, we want everyone to experience the power that comes through our three-day workshop. Those are live workshops. They're different than our online courses. These are actual live experiences that happen over three days, a Friday and Saturday and Sunday that have amazing success rates for saving marriages, creating stronger marriages. And that's our ultimate goal, that every marriage would experience the power and transformation that occurs within relationships in those three days. And if your spouse is not ready to do that with you, you can actually do it as a solo spouse. We have a special version of it that, that covers all the same material, but a little bit different slant because of the fact that it's the solo spouses in that workshop. We do that online. And, and so if your spouse, if you're saying, I'd love to come to the workshop, but my spouse is not ready, we really encourage you to come to the solo spouse workshop because you'll learn so much more in those three days than we can teach you in that 12 week or 12 episodes of the online course, which is really good. But this is like, 
the best that we can offer you. And uh, right now, at the time that we're recording this video and audio, um, I actually personally am doing all of the solo spouse workshops. That by the time you come, that could have changed, of course. But we can help you there with the online course or the workshop if your spouse will come. But if they won't come, then in that solo spouse workshop. So, Kimberly, we're out of time, and you always recap and summarize everything and give the main points. So I think it's time for that. The key takeaways from today's episode, limerence is a big word, but it has a lot of components that go under it. We have a lot of material where you can dive deeper into what exactly that means, but our encouragement for you, while we understand that you are seeking to know everything you can about what's going on in your spouse's mind and how to fix and save your marriage, don't get so stuck on limerence that you don't do the things to begin working on you and move the marriage forward. Because whether your marriage has been affected by limerence or not, the things we teach you are going to be the same of what you need to do. So what are those things? Stop doing the things that have pushed your spouse away. Start doing the things to attract your spouse back to you. Focus on working on your pies, the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual attraction, and do the things to build intimacy slowly over time with your spouse. You should listen to the episode before this one, or at least we recorded it right before this one, but it's going to be episode number nine of Relationship Radio, How Do I Show My Spouse I've Changed?, even though you may be thinking, I don't need to do that. My spouse is in limerence. We give so many good points in that episode of what to do. You need to go and listen to that episode because it's exactly what you should do in this situation as well. Thank you, Kimberly. And thank all of you for being with us on Relationship Radio. And we look forward to having more sessions with you as we talk about more of your questions. Be sure to call them in. Yes. And be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening, whether it's on YouTube or on a podcast and leave us a review because that helps us to reach more couples as well. Remember, you can find out more about what we do at marriagehelper.com or you can call our office at 866-903-0990 and schedule time to speak with someone on our team about your situation and what we can do that will help you. We would love to do that for you. And that number a little slower one more time was 866 866- Nine zero three zero nine nine zero. Yeah, for the people of my age group. Thank you for saying that a little slower. Thank all of you for being with us, and we'll see you again soon on Relationship Radio. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Please refer to the notes in the description to learn more about any resources mentioned in this episode. Please visit our website at marriagehelper.com for more information about our online courses marriage workshops, and coaching. If you have a question you want to ask Dr. Beam and Kimberly Holmes, follow the link to see which topic is currently up for discussion. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. We exist to help save marriages and strengthen families. We look forward to interacting with you on the next episode of Relationship Radio.